Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. Good morning. This is the California Report. I'm Saul Gonzalez in Los Angeles. Here are the stories we're following. California will soon have the strongest workplace safety rules in the country related to lead exposure because of a majority vote yesterday by members of the California Occupational Safety and Health Standards Board. Researchers say rules need to be tightened because of the known health risks caused by lead, everything from kidney dysfunction to sterility to hypertension. The rules mean employers will have to reduce airborne exposure to lead through better ventilation and filtration. Business groups say the new rules are draconian and will be expensive to implement. Authorities say a six-mile stretch of Pacific Coast Highway north of Malibu will be closed indefinitely in the evenings because of damage from recent storms. Parts of the PCH's southbound lanes collapsed as they were pounded by rain and surf. With more storms in the forecast, Caltrans is concerned about additional damage. Advocates for letting California's public universities hire undocumented students who don't have federal work authorization got a boost Thursday in Sacramento. KQD's Danielle Benton has more. Assemblymember David Alvarez from Southern California announced he's introducing legislation to let all students work, regardless of immigration status, in the UC, CSU, and state community college systems. So that our future teachers, our future scientists, our researchers, uh, professionals can actually put their skills to work. The skills that we have invested in as Californians because we believe in the future. We've invested in these young people. Last month, the University of California Regents had considered a proposal to let undocumented students work, but abandoned the plan over concerns about legal liability. For The California Report, I'm Danielle Venton. Do you love learning about the San Francisco Bay Area? Its history, its people, its unique blend of cultures? Then you should check out The Bay Curious Book. I'm Katrina Schwartz, editor and producer on the Bay Curious podcast, and I'm here to let you know that for the month of May, we've worked out a sweet deal for KQED podcast listeners. Right now, you can get the Bay Curious ebook for $1.99. That's right, $1.99. Just search for Bay Curious wherever you get your ebooks or find a link in our show notes. This offer does expire at the end of the month, though, so you'll want to act on it fast. Happy reading! Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just what we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio. It was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because 
This is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Every Friday, we're exploring the crisis of loneliness among Californians and what to do about it. Today, we turn to the topic of friendship as one all-important remedy to social isolation. I talked about it with Raina Cohen, a journalist who spent years meeting people who center their lives around their deep friendships. The results of Cohen's work is her new book, The Other Significant Others. We started by talking about what people sometimes get wrong about friendship. I think most people see friendship as the supporting cast of their life. And if they think of friendship as that significant in the first place, whereas a marriage or a romantic partner is the main character that you would share the stage with. And in fact, you know, from the people that I look at in this book, friendship can be much more deep and can expand far beyond what a lot of people think friendship is, that it doesn't have to be peripheral or fungible or disposable even, and can actually be at the center of our lives. So what does that mean to put a friendship in the center of our lives, where it's as important or maybe even more important than the relationship we have with our spouses, our life partners, our significant others? I mean, it's really having a friend as a significant other. That's that's one kind of way to put it. The people who I profile in in my book are really taking friendship to the extreme in making it central in their lives. So that looks like owning homes together, potentially raising kids together, taking care of each other through cancer and organ transplants and putting each other in their wills and having medical and legal power of attorney rights to each other. It's really doing the kinds of things that are supposed to be, I think, in our culture reserved for spouses and familial relationships and instead treating a platonic relationship with that level of commitment and care. You know, we we hear so often, and we're covering it on this show, that this crisis of loneliness and social isolation in America. Do you think really most of that is, in a sense, a a crisis in in friendship and and, and too many people having too few friends, whether the the friendships are as deep as you write about or far more casual than that? I do think that people could stand to have more and deeper friendships. I mean, even when people say that they do have friends, I, I kind of would encourage people to ask, what do you feel like you can and can't ask of those people in your life? Like, if you need to be picked up from the airport, would you feel comfortable asking the person for that? Or would you do that for them? If you're having a terrible day, do you feel comfortable talking to them? And if not, who are you going to? And are you going to, if you have a romantic partner, that person again and again and again? I think that there is an increasing recognition that 
relying on one person, namely a, a spouse, is just not not good for the relationship, and it's also not sufficient for the broader needs for connection that we have. And you know, that's been I think pointed out by people like the Surgeon General in in treating friendship as something that actually matters, but certainly not taking friendship seriously and and really seeing its full capacity to enrich our lives is contributing to a society where people often feel lonely and and don't even know how to make friends, let alone make really close friends. Another issue that comes to mind is friendship and technology. And I just wonder, honestly, how many people out there really prefer being with their machines, their digital devices, being on their screens, and not sitting across the table, looking at their friends, having long, hours-long conversations with their friends. They'd rather be on Instagram or TikTok or doing something like that. Do you think that's an issue? You know, when you're describing this, I wonder, like, what is what does it mean to want something? Like, is it that people in the moment find it easier to sit in front of their screens, but that actually, if they, like, push themselves to get out of the house, they would in the moment, find it much more satisfying to be in front of others. I mean, I, I experienced a version of this when it's cold outside. Uh, it's not like the weather that you guys have in California, you know, in like January or February in DC. And I have to figure out, oh, do I want to like walk to go to my swing class and then, you know, have this social afterwards while I'll be around a bunch of people. And I have to remind myself sometimes that like, I often don't want to do the inconvenient thing to get to us. As some kind of social activity. But once I'm there, and certainly afterwards, I will be so grateful. So, you know, I don't know, um, in everybody's cases, if they would actually find it more pleasant to be in front of other human beings. And and maybe like a lot of us are out of practice about how to <laughs> interact with, with people in real life. But I, I think that there's probably part of this where there there's uh, some like activation energy and some inconvenience that comes with being in real life with people so they opt for something that in the short term is is sort of more convenient but in the even the medium term is less satisfying right it's like do do i interact with my 952 facebook friends i just checked before i came on the mic with you or do i really go outside and meet my in the physical world friends it also takes work to coordinate plans and you know shift around plans if you don't have time and it's a lot easier to just sort of refresh your Instagram and see if anybody has commented and and respond to that. And it's not to say that those things can't be satisfying on some level. Like I, I have a lot of long distance friends. And that means that one of the ways we keep up is with technology. I am an evangelist for voice memos. That's a big way that I keep in touch with people recording or you know exchanging recordings of our voices. Uh, so it, it's not all bad news, I think, with technology, but it's it's has a lot to do with like how, how you're using it. Are you using it as a, a replacement for in-person interaction or as a way to to sort of supplement or to make sure that you're connecting? Yeah. And, and just finally, I'm sure there are people listening who are thinking to themselves, yeah, I want that. I want more friends or I want closer friendship relations. You got any advice for them? I think that there's a lot of tried and true, really effective methods in terms of meeting people to start making friends, like go out in spaces in the world where you're going to interact with people who 
share some kind of interest for you. And I think also striking up conversation, which, you know, to your last question, a lot of us are just, you know, we have our heads down in our phones uh, all the time. I mean, I I kind of pay attention to this on a weekly basis because I, I take Saturdays off screens and then I start to notice like how everybody around me has their head down looking at their phone, which might usually be me the, the other six days of the week. So I think if you, one, take the effort to go out in the world and, and meet people that you also would benefit from from striking up conversation. I mean, certainly, like, I have been at, at book talks where I talked to the person in front of me and then became friends. And, you know, we've been friends for 10 years. I'm thinking about a particular person. But I, I think, actually, the harder challenge for a lot of people is, is the escalation piece. Like, how do you escalate from somebody who, you know, you kind of like and hang out with every month or so to really, really feeling close ties with them? And I think bringing some of the same tools that and expectations that people have of their romantic encounters to their friendships can be quite mm-hmm. useful here. Like I have explicitly told people that I have a friend crush on them. And, you know, I was, you know, saw somebody yesterday where I, I just sort of told her explicitly how in a, a kind of inexplicable way, I just had a sense that she and I would be friends and that like I was drawn to her, found her very warm. And I think, complimenting people helps and and making time like one one way to escalate to a closer friendship that seems to be very effective is just reducing the friction of all the planning all the work and just creating standing ways to spend time together so that could be a weekly coffee i have a weekly run with a friend i have a bi-weekly hangout after my friend's baby goes to sleep time so i think proposing those sorts of recurring interactions can ensure that you're going to see each other often and and also like take away some of the work involved in constantly trying to coordinate. Hmm. So essentially, if you want more friends, if you want deeper friendships, you got to put the work in, you got to put in some planning and you got to show some vulnerability. Yeah. I mean, we, you know, expect to put ourselves out there and get rejected in the romantic world, which is extremely unfun. (laughs) But the, the kind of potential reward is is intimacy, and the same goes in friendship. And people can experience really deep intimacy in platonic relationships, but I don't think we can get there unless we're willing to be vulnerable, to tell people that we want to spend time with them and see how they react to that and make overtures to hang out to go and do an activity together you're just going to have to deal with some of the some of the downsides to connection in order to gain its real upsides all right we have been speaking to reina cohn she's the author of the other significant others reina thanks so much for joining us on the california report and i wish you a lot of good friendships thank you i wish the same to you and all of your listeners And that is the California Report for Friday, February 16th. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. Our engineers are Danny Bringer, Brendan Willard, Seal Muller, and Jim Bennett. Our producers are Billy Cruz and Keith Mizuguchi. Our senior editor is Angela Corral. Our vice president of news is Ethan Tobin Lindsay. And our chief content officer is Holly Kernan. I'm Saul Gonzalez. Thanks so much for listening, and have a great day and weekend. Support for the California Report comes from the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Learn more at irvine.org. Stanford Medicine, 
comprising its School of Medicine and Adult and Children's Health Systems, working together to advance knowledge and improve lives, stanfordmedicine.org. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt, whose philanthropy works to create a cleaner, healthier, more secure world for all, on the web at theschmidt.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse Golden State. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. 